Um, okay, let me be honest with you guys. Um, I'm a little nervous about today, as just in general, uh, and nervous about not just this moment in teaching, uh, but just what November, or sorry, January 12th is. You see, the last 24 months, uh, church leadership has been spending a large amount of time, energy, effort, money, creativity in launching another church and sending another church to another town and being able to do that in a healthy and a God-honoring way. Last Sunday was an awesome time and an awesome place for us as a church body as we were able to not only ordain more elders, but also commission a group of, and I think the number was 55 people in total, including kids, able to send them out in a healthy and a God-honoring way. Well, for 24 months, we've been thinking about that moment. Like, what does it mean to launch them, to get them out of the fold? And we didn't really think about this moment, what January 12th would look like or feel like when we were just we, right? Like, this is Johnson City. So if you look to your left or right, back and forth, like, this is us, right? And... I'm not like Google Maps, or we're not like Google Maps, that will be able to give you like turn-by-turn instructions as far as where we are going. We simply can just point you in a direction and say, hey, this is where we're, hopefully this is where we'll end up. And that is hopefully seeing people who are far from Jesus, people who are far from community, find a place at home, find a place where they understand the gospel, and they will begin to trust one another in a, a full way so that they are in community, so they are, and then they become disciple makers of, of all nations. I mean, ultimately, that's where we're going, but how we get there, again, it's kind of stopped at January the 5th, so I just needed to spend some time confessing to you that I'm nervous about this. I'm, I don't know, um, I was talking with some of my mentors, the guys that disciple me, and I'm like, I just don't know what it's going to be like. And they simply, they just continued to, to share the gospel with my own heart, um, to, to talk a little bit about my fears. But kind of the aha moment that happened in staff meeting, just kind of sharing like, okay, so what's going to happen on the 12th? Like, who are we? And where will, you know, where will we be? And what will it feel like or seem like? And that's where one of the staff members just said, you know, if you're lost in the woods, uh, one of the, the things that you do is to go back to the last place in which you were not lost. So you find a tree or a find a rock or something, a bend in the river. You're like, oh, that looks somewhat recognizable. And you start from there. Not where you're lost, but where you were last like found. And you go back from there. And that's where it dawned on us is that what's next is not an appropriate question for us in this season. Like, that would be going too quickly or, or moving past what we all have experienced as a church body, as we have all launched well. To, so, to go too quickly to what's next or what's next for us, that's just, that would be too rush, that would rush it too much. However, where, where we know where we were not lost is what happens every January, where as a church body, we pause. We call a timeout. And in our services and in our community groups, we pray. 
And that's what this will be. It's not going to be some new series. It's not going to be something that's like brand new. I'm not going to give you a 2020 vision, you know, for your life or even this year. It's not that snazzy. In fact, we're just going to go back to an old historic psalm. And we're going to remind ourselves what it means to talk to Jesus. What it means to pause and talk to the Lord because he is the one who is tending the flock. He is the one who cares for us so very much. Um, I began the year uh, sitting on a beach at low tide, and the waves were not crashing, and we were able to see the sunrise over the Atlantic the very first day of a brand new decade. And I sat there in my little lawn chair, and I began to just repeat Psalm 23 over and over and over in my heart, and my mind. And so where were you last not lost is the fact that January is for prayer. And that's where we're going to go. And on January 1st, my heart just exploded with this fact that the Lord is my shepherd. And so let's go through a journey together for the next three weeks. Like what does it mean for the Lord to be our shepherd who cares for us so very deeply um, we knew from the Christmas story that shepherds were not that well esteemed. And yet the Lord himself, God himself, is asking us to think of him in this way. Where he tends and he cares and he guides and he protects and he mends and he nourishes and he gathers and he disciplines all of these things of what a shepherd does, we will be able to remind ourselves in these really, really short verses. Um, so, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, is how Psalm 23 begins. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. Those two words are oftentimes the words that we hear in other famous prayers. Take, for instance, the very first words of the Bible, right? In the beginning, what? God. That's how the Bible begins. The Bible does not begin with us. It actually begins with God and who he is. Remember the Shema? Uh, Hear, O Israel. Hear, listen to him. The Lord, the Lord, God, he is one. And so how all of generations of, if you were a Jew, you would, you would pray that prayer, the Lord, the Lord is one. It didn't start with them. It actually started with who he is, a proclamation of who he is. The psalm would do the same thing over and over and over. In fact, they would, uh, the psalmist in 115 would actually create this contrast. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's what's supposed to roll out of our hearts and our minds and our lips. It's who he is and his character. And so in this crossroads for us in Johnson City, I think that what the Lord is asking us to do is to pause and remind ourselves who God is more than we need to realize who we are because he is going to be the guiding one. He will be the protector and we are the flock. It would almost be wrong of us to come forward with too much vision or too much what's next without a, an essential pause to understand who God is first and foremost. The Lord's prayer, the Lord, um, the disciples would look to, the, uh, look to Jesus and say, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And he says, our Father who is in heaven. Prayers start with God. Psalm 123. 
says this, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? As it starts there. It will pick us up, you know, there's personality there, but it starts with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will make me, or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He will lead me beside still waters. This is, the, this is his initiation into our lives. Does he not care for us? No. However, the, just the subjects of these words or these sentences or these phrases, it starts with him and him alone. This is what he does for us. He wants to be known as shepherd, but he also wants to tell us this is what we need and he will guide us in this direction. He will lead us beside still waters because he knows that he is the one who will restore our souls. He will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, the psalmist will go on to say, for you are with me. And he goes on and on to give us these wonderful phrases of what he will do for us over and over and over. He will walk alongside us in the valley of, sh- of the shadow of death. And we will not have to fear because it says the Lord is with us. It says that it's his rod and his staff that will comfort us. He will prepare a, a place. He will prepare a table before us. And he won't just prepare a table. We've got a snazzy little table on our logo, but he will prepare it where? In the presence of his enemy. Where the cup, his cup will overflow. All of these things, his, his head will be anointed with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will flow and follow him all the days of his life and he will dwell in the life in the temple of the presence of God forever and ever and ever. This is just the, this is the, the intonation or this is the strength of Psalm 23. For me, I had gotten too casual with Psalm 23. For me, it had become just old, an old psalm that everybody knew. And yet on that beach on January 1st, as I began to memorize it and, and go back to some of these old terms, it began to realize that there's something strong here. And so every time I would come to words like my shepherd or makes me, there are, there are things that would happen in my heart as I began to trust him fully and uniquely. And that's what I want for us over the next three weeks is just to push pause, call time out, and just sit underneath a really classic psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's him who makes me lie down in creep pastures. It's him who leads me behind still waters. It's on him. And so who is the shepherd? Who's the shepherd? First and foremost, we see God's title. How he titles himself is significant. Um, we know him throughout scriptures as all types of things. We know him as creator. That's how he first comes out, as he is the creator God. We know that he is all sovereign over all things. The psalmist in other places use other really strong words like he is my rock and he is my shield and he is my fortress. We know in Revelation, he actually starts the beginning of the conversation by ending it saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There is no one like me. I am the Lord Almighty is what, how Revelation will, will talk about him. So how he titles himself is interesting in this psalm. 
because there is a lack of strength and power and like a rusticness to it. And instead it's tender and it's kind and it's gentle and it's caring and it's personal. And so how God titles himself is as a shepherd himself. And this is not a new thing at all. We hear even in the beginning in the book of Genesis, God is declaring himself as a shepherd. We know in other places that he is the shepherd of the flock, which is all of Israel. And Jesus himself would say that I am the good shepherd. And so this title is a lot and we should look and understand what it means for him to be the shepherd and we to be the flock. It's significant. He says that he begins this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Meaning he will take care of us and he will lead us and guide us in any way. And then he uh, he postures himself as, as personal. If you go back, and I don't don't think that would probably be too distracting, but if you go back to just these three verses, as many times as you see the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, he, 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 you also see my, 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 and me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord leads me beside still waters. He is the one who makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores me. He leads me on paths of righteousness. And so, yes, who is the shepherd? The shepherd titles himself this, and yet he doesn't forget us. He's always taking us in a journey and are on a, on a way. And so as personal as it is to begin this year as a corporate body, Maybe he is asking you and I not to go, go, go anymore. Commission, commission, commission as much as take these the rest of this month and these weeks just to lie down in a green pasture, to pause by a bubbling brook, just to pause and understand him. It's the psalmist who would say, be still and know that I am God. Maybe in our going, right, and as wonderful and as beautiful it is, maybe he's just giving us a respite. He's forcing us to lie down and to rest and to love him. And he comes and he meets us wherever we need him. He comes alongside us and he says, you, my people, you need a green pasture. You need a green meadow. You need a mountainside just to lay there. You need a clear spring You need a trickle of water. You need to hear the bubbling of a brook. These are the things that you need from me now. This is King David at the end of his life. He was the king. He was over all things. He had everything at his demand. He had slain armies. He had built kingdoms. And the end of his life, this is him as a mature king. He goes back to the very beginning where he was a little shepherd boy where he was the youngest of all of the sons of Jesse. And where Samuel would come alongside and come to Jesse and says, can I see your sons? The Lord has asked me to anoint one of them, the king over Israel. And so of course, King uh, Jesse came in, in front of Samuel, put the oldest and the, the wisest in front of him. And Samuel said, that's not him. And then the second boy, or man at that point, man, 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 all the way down to, down to David. He was so insignificant in this moment that Jesse didn't even call David to the lineup. 
Samuel had asked Jesse, hey, can you bring me my, your sons so that I can appoint one of them to be ruler of Israel? And of the sons, he leaves Daniel out, or David out altogether. He just leaves him in the field as if he was insignificant, or he was disposable, or he was just a young shepherd boy, because that's who he was. He was just a young shepherd boy. And when he went, go, goes down all the line, Samuel looks to Jesse and says, is there not another? And he says, yes, there is one, the youngest boy. And so he brings David up to him. And, and Samuel says, this, this is my man. This will be the one who will be after my heart. It was very personal to David. It was at the end of his life, but he would go back to those days as a shepherd himself over a flock and saying, that's what God has done for me over and over and over. He has shepherded my soul. Maybe as an organization, we have been moving at a frenetic pace but maybe in your own life, this pace, this rhythm has been too much, too fast, too hectic, too loud. And maybe you just need an excuse, at least for 40 minutes on a Sunday, just to pause and reflect on the Lord as a shepherd who when he takes you to a place, oftentimes after a huge war or after a huge something, he will actually lead you to a quiet place. And so businessmen or businesswomen, stay-at-home moms, you have a busy life and you have a lot of things vying for your attention. Maybe the way you start 2020 is not with your audacious goals. Maybe what the Lord's asking us is to pause and to feel what it's like to have pasture grass <laughs> on our face or what it sounds like to sit by a river not to forge it, not to conquer it, not to damn it, not even to play in it, but just to see those things as nourishing and gentle and beautiful for our own soul. He says that I will not want. There is a real realization that what God offers, let me push time out, what God offers is all satisfying. And yet you and I wake up every single day and we don't believe it. The phrase, and I shall not want, is the first, well, I mean, the Lord is my shepherd. And we can just talk for years. And there's a comma and it's, it's, it's like it's nothing. And yet I shall not want is the fact that what the Lord is offering you is better and all satisfying than anything else this world can offer you. It's the journey that he has for you is the one that is most satisfying and will bring the most nutrients to your soul. You see, we're starving by our distractions. We're getting like, like just whiplash from all of the options of our life. You and I have technique from just staring at our screens all day long. And maybe the reason you're so dissatisfied or the reason that discontentment so wells up is you haven't stopped and just looked at this psalm in a real and honest way that it's personal and it's potentially for me in this season. This is not a 
20 or a 30 minute talk. What we're asking you is for days and days, the completion of the month, for you to stare. There's, I mean, there's no big words in the psalm. There's no, I mean, multiple syllables here. This is just as simple as it gets, and yet it can be most profound. And the shepherd, he's the one who makes us rest. He's the one who tells us that it's not just green pastures, but it's still waters, and it's a restoring rest. This idea that over and over and over it's pause, over and over and over it's refuel, over and over and over it's to stop and let me be the source of these things. And so the green pastures means literally that, just, just this, this green, verdant, beautiful hillside, this farmland that's beyond, uh, beyond all beauty. It's this water that's as clean and as pure as, as ever seen. This is poetry in motion because we can get sucked into the landscape and it's supposed to bring us rest. And then he says, because of all of this, that I will restore you. I will come to you and I will make things complete. And that's what he wants from us. He's the shepherd but he forces us to pause. And you and I have a hard time resting. So the application question for you and I is, when's the last time that you rested? And not just sleeping in on a Saturday morning, but rested in the Lord. Rested in the place that he has placed you, knowing that that's the safest place and the best place for you. Not just rest as means sleep. Not rest as in vacation or rest as in entertainment, but resting in the Lord where you sat long enough to count how many trees there are in the first row of, of a forest or be able to know that there are flowers that are different or that they bloom at a different time. Just pausing, like truly resting in a way that the Lord will satisfy you fully and completely. This idea of restoration is this picture that it's all gonna come into completion. It's actually this idea of, if we put it in a New Testament term, it actually means repentance. And so part of this restoration of rest is actually repenting, is actually putting some broken things together in order for you to find it. So there's even a disciplinary moment here. And I don't want us to move too quickly, too far, without you feeling this idea that he has to come alongside and he has to guide you like a flock who's gone astray. And he's the one who's going to actually have to force you, makes you lie down in green pastures. If Psalm 46 is true, be still and know that I am God. There's often, or there's a temptation, or there's a chance that none of us really know God. Because none of us have really been still enough to know him in that way. I love being a Protestant. I love being an evangelical. But the problem with our tribe is that we get things done. And we often believe that it's up to us to accomplish the goals. 2020 is a time, at least for this church body, for us to resist a little bit of that. Man, we'll pick it up in February and we'll go hard, right? But in this moment, 
for this season. The grass won't always be green. It'll turn to brown. The stream won't always be a bubbling brook. It'll get frozen over or something. But for a season, it's good just to rest in him. And so if I was asking you, or if I were you, and I was asking myself a question, you would say, when's the last time I rested? Ellipses, in the Lord. And where have I been so very distracted? You know, running after things that the world has promised us. So the shepherd also makes his name great. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We realize that the shepherd is taking us someplace. He is the one who is, we are on the journey after him. He's guiding and directing. And we know that where he's taking us is to make much of him for his name's sake, for the glory of God and God alone. And what he says, what makes his name great and for his sake is this idea of paths of righteousness where you and I look very different as we walk along the paths and the streets and the alleys. And as we drive our cars and we conduct our businesses and we order our homes, these paths, paths that we go on look very, very different as if we're marked or stamped by God and God alone because he is the righteous one. And we're simply just following after him. And we're giving credit to him over and over and over for his name's sake. Jesus would say that there's a path. One's narrow and one's wide. And what Jesus, what the Lord is telling us here in Psalm 23 is be careful the path in which you go. The one that will set God apart for his glory and for his sake, that he will take you on his path are all of the other paths that will distract you and, and conform you. I don't know why the Lord has us in Psalm 23, but we're here. Where we are seeing the Lord as our shepherd. And he will guide us and he will take us. And it's not necessarily always for our uh, our delight, or not always about even our true light, just getting what we want. He sets off the, the trajectory of our life early in the psalm, and he says, it's got to be for my name's sake. How many things in our, in our lives do you do for your name's sake? How many times in your day do you do it so that you would be set apart so that people would think much of you. We can go throughout the same path, we can go throughout the same life, and yet we could have a different trajectory, a different reason, a different motivation for our life, and that's for God and God's glory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Maybe this is a, a Sunday where he is forcing you, he is making you lie down and say, hey, you can rest. Put your head on a pillow and rest. I've got this. The shepherd is watching after the flock. You can rest. Maybe you just came in here this morning for permission to rest. Not just rest and fall asleep, rest and go on vacation, rest and what, like do like a hobby, but rest in him and there's a big difference. And so when we pray, we pray to the Lord. And we pray as, as, like this. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You bring great comfort to me. Why? Because my cup is what is overflowing. The vision for our life is that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the presence or in the house of the Lord forever. This is our prayer. Amen. We're a church who rests in the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And he, like a lamb, was slaughtered for us. And so the night that he was betrayed, he, he demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So even though he was full and complete and, and fully God, he was fully man and that he knew now what the curse of sin and death would feel like. He took a piece of bread, he broke it, and he says, this is my body given for you. He then took a chalice of wine. They were at a festival, right? They were at a party. He took a wine, and I mean, this is the substance, and this is the liquid of joy and celebration and goodness. And so he says, the party is actually going to come to a stop with me. He says, this is the This wine represents the blood of a new covenant given for you for the forgiveness of sins. The way that the good shepherd truly protects us, guards us, guides us, and cares for us, and heals us by laying down his life for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to follow after a shepherd this morning. Not to follow after yourself, but follow after a shepherd who would give his life for you. If you find yourself far from Jesus, not in a relationship with Jesus, we would encourage you to start following after him this morning. For you, that we've got men and women in the back that will walk through and pray for you and get you on a path that will set your life on a new, brand new trajectory. Or maybe you just don't need to take a meal quite yet because you are in the fast pace, or you don't know what it means to rest in the Lord, or you are finding so many things distracting you that you've forgotten what it means to lie down in a green pasture of his presence. And so these tables are open. These men are going to be around the room, and they will serve you whenever uh, you want to be served. I would encourage you not to move too quickly past this moment. We've said a lot of things. Maybe something particularly has stung your heart. You've come in here to be comforted, but instead you've been corrected instead. We would encourage you to just linger longer in your seat. Potentially go back to the prayer corner and ask other people um, for for their help and for their prayers. Uh, This is your table. This is the table of the Lord for you to take and say unto all of us and to him, you are my shepherd, I will follow you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that you are tender with us in this moment. That as we follow after other shepherds who lie to us and steal from us, that King Jesus, that you will tell us that the way of life is for us to give you the honor and the praise and the glory that you deserve because you laid down your life for us.
God, this picture of sacrifice, this picture of death is actually what gives us life, is actually what gives us celebration. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, now, that they would not be afraid to engage you in whatever they're wrestling with, that they would not be afraid to truly engage you and make this a very spiritual moment. Our flesh can lie to us. The thief can steal from us and take, snatch this moment away from us so quickly. I pray for my brothers and sisters that if they need to deal with you, that they deal with you appropriately, that they would not let these moments pass. I pray for any of those, any of us in here that are far from you, that they would find themselves following after a good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls this morning. We ask this in your good name. Amen.